Psalm 23 is arguably one of the most and perhaps the most beloved psalm in all scripture. It is present in even popular culture, being loved even by unbelievers. And there is a story told of an old actor who was known for his reading and recitations from the classics. He always ended his performance with a dramatic recital of Psalm 23. Each night, without exception, as the actor began his recitation, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, the crowd would listen attentively and then rise with thunderous applause in appreciation to the actor's ability to bring the psalm to life. But one night, just before the actor was to offer his usual recital of Psalm 23, he received an unusual request by a young man asking if he could deliver the recital. The actor, intrigued by such a request, accepted it and said, invited the young man to come upon the stage and to recite it. So this young man came upon the stage and softly the young man began to recite the words of the psalm. When he was finished, there was no applause. There was no uh, standing ovation. But every eye was tearful. Amazed by what he had experienced, the actor queried, I don't understand. I've been performing this psalm for years. I have the experience. I have the training. But this has never happened to me. What is your secret? He asked the young man. And the young man humbly replied, Well, sir, you might know the psalm, but I indeed know the shepherd. Like I said, Psalm 23 is one of the most beloved psalms in scriptures, and alongside with John 3.16, is perhaps the most famous scripture known. And such familiarity can bring a certain difficulty when we come to understand the text. And the real danger here lies in approaching this psalm with the wrong attitude. We come to it thinking we know what it says, we know the meaning, we've heard many, many sermons on this text, we know the application, and we kind of just yawn, because we've heard this before. But the lesson that this story shows us is that it is clearly one thing to master the text, and it is another thing to be mastered by the text. And like a good Presbyterian, we'll be looking at this text in three points. The first one, the Lord as shepherd. The second, the Lord as host. And the third point, a blessed certainty. And we will come to see that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of these roles as the shepherd and as the host. So our first point, the Lord as host. It is important to note that this psalm is a psalm of David. And this gives us context for David himself was a young shepherd boy. In other words, he had the experience, he had gone through uh, the experience of being a shepherd. He knew what he was talking about. So verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we will be looking at these first five words individually. So the first word is the Lord. Note that the psalm begins with the Lord and it also ends with the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd and verse 6 and surely I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forevermore. Even though this psalm is about the Christian experience, we note that the Christian experience itself begins and finishes with the Lord. The entirety of our lives as Christians begins and finishes, is lived within the Lord. As we saw this morning, he is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And here, it is important that we must take time 
if possible, stand, step back and consider who is this Lord. It seems that in these days, each and every one of us, each and every one of people have their own idea of God. They have a Jesus that fits their own agenda, their own concepts. And A.W. Tozer in the book Knowledge of the Holy states, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So again, who is this Lord? This is the Lord revealed in Scripture. He is the one and only true God, maker of the heavens and earth. He shares his glory with no one. He is the one who determines the number of the stars and calls them each by their name. He weighs the hills in a balance and the mountains melt before the Lord like wax. He reigns, he sits enthroned upon the cherubim and the earth quakes before him. His glory surpasses the glory of all kings and queens of this earth. Behold your God. This is our God. This is the God that we call shepherd. And it would be a truly amazing thing, for example, if we could call somebody like her late majesty, the queen, our guardian, our shepherd, our friend, or even an acquaintance. If I would come and say, oh, I know the queen, that would be a pretty remarkable statement. But how great and how glorious that we can call the one and true God, our shepherd, the grace of heaven and earth, our personal shepherd. The Lord is Notice that this is, that is, this is in the present tense. It does not say that the Lord was my shepherd, or that the Lord perhaps will be my shepherd, but that the Lord is my shepherd. This is a present tense reality. This is the reality in your life, dear Christian. The Lord is your shepherd. And the following word is the pronoun my. And now this is a very blessed place to put a pronoun in. Throughout scripture, we see the shepherd theme unfold. We see the Lord mentioned as the shepherd of Israel. For example, in Psalm 80, verse 1, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. But this is where lies the distinctiveness of this psalm. It is in this pronoun, my. It is in, one author puts it like this, This is the most personal interpretation of the shepherd theme in the entire biblical tradition. Now, while I was studying and preparing the sermon, I came across a story. And like many stories, you find many versions of the same story. And one of the versions is, takes place in Scotland, and so that's the story that I'm going to stick with. Um, it's about a young Scottish shepherd boy um, whose parents died prematurely. And he was sent to live with his grandfather in the Highlands, and he would spend most of his day shepherding his grandfather's flock and then later in the evening would return to the house and they would sit by the fire and his grandfather would tell him stories about the great and true shepherd, Jesus Christ. Now, this boy grew eager to know more about Christ, about the scripture, about the gospel. But the problem was that he did not know how to read. And one of the ways his grandfather taught him to memorize the fir this first verse of Psalm 23 was by sticking out his hand and starting at his thumb to remember that the Lord is my shepherd. And the ring finger corresponding to the pronoun my, that is an important information. For a few days later, the boy was out shepherding and a, a, a snowstorm formed, which quickly became to a blizzard. And the grandfather 
got worried and ran out in search of him, but he was prevented by the severe weather conditions, and he returned home with a heavy heart, praying that the Lord would keep his grandson safe. When the next day came and the storm eased off, he set out to look for the boy, but he ended up finding only the boy's body. But the unusual part of this was that the boy was found holding his ring finger. In other words, in the moment that that boy faced death itself, he took great comfort in knowing that the Lord is his shepherd. And we can say that for ourselves, that the Lord is my shepherd. And the following word is the word shepherd. Now, being a shepherd in ancient times was a dirty, dangerous And not a very easy vocation. And like the shepherds today that go around in their comfortable Land Rovers, uh, sporting their barber jackets and wearing their Hunter Wellington boots. Shepherds in the first century were people who spent all time with the sheep. Walking with them, leading them, guiding them. Because remember, sheep are not the most bright of all the animals. In David's day, shepherds would lay down with them, would sleep beside them, would fight off robbers and predators. And these shepherds were willing to die even for their sheep. Now David uses other metaphors in the Psalms. He refers to the Lord as his rock, as his strength, as his shield. And those are very impersonal metaphors. But here he uses the metaphor of a shepherd, of a person, as a personal metaphor. Now shepherdship conveys the idea of care, protection, and also the idea of belonging. The first question of the Heidelberg Catechism puts it like this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And the answer is that I am not my own, but I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Dear Christian, take comfort in this. That you are not your own. That you belong in body and soul to Christ. That whatever we may face in this journey to Zion City, and even when the time comes that we will face death itself, and when we look death in the eye, that we may stand upon this truth. That we belong to Christ. Body and soul to our faithful Savior. And the first verse continues saying that I shall not want. Now this is a direct result is a direct consequence of God being our shepherd. If we say the Lord is our shepherd, it will naturally lead us to say that I shall not one, for one thing leads to another. We would not be able to say this if we could not say that the Lord is our shepherd. But because we can say that he is our shepherd, we can also say that I shall not want. Now this does not mean that we will receive all that we want and desire, but that we will not feel the desire of need. Because if the Lord is our shepherd, we do not have to worry, for he watches over those who trust in him. I shall not want, or or to put it in another way, I shall lack nothing. This is a statement of complete satisfaction and total contentment. 
David is saying, the Lord is my shepherd. He has covered all of my needs. Remember that Jesus says in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Look at the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. Our shepherd knows our needs. And the thing is that he knows our true needs. For it is one thing to want, but the shepherd actually knows what we actually need. And what we need, he provides for us. And what do we need? What our what are what are our true needs? They are stated in the following verses. We need rest, we need nut, we need care, we need protection, and all of those are provided for us in Christ. Verse two says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He makes us lie down. In other words, the Lord gives us rest. In Hebrews 4 says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Now this is a truly remarkable thing that we could rest as God rested himself. Now how did God rest? For God cannot become exhausted, God cannot become tired, so how did God rest? Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is making a connection to Genesis of or the theme of creation, where God created the world and on the Sabbath he rested. Now again, this does not mean that God was exhausted, that God was tired of his creational labors. But remember that at the end of each day, God said, and he saw that everything was very good. That it was very good. That it was all very good. And that is what it means to rest. It means satisfaction. It means completion. It means that it is finished. In the same sense that God rested on the Sabbath, so do we who are in Christ rest. We rest in God's, in Christ's complete and finished works in Calvary. As we read in John 10, he is the door of the sheep and who enter through the door find rest in him. We rest in Christ's complete work. We do not have to prove anything to God. We do not work. We do not earn our salvation. For our salvation has been accomplished on Calvary. And on that we rest. He leads us to green pastures. In the Hebrew, it means the pasture of pastures or the greenest of pastures. Now, there is a very high likelihood that when we think of shepherds and sheep and Psalm 23, the image that might be coming to mind is that of England's green and pleasant land. Or something like the Shire in the Lord of the Rings, the inhabitation of the hobbits, of the green and beautiful hills and the peaceful village. But that was not the environment of Canaan. That was not the landscape of, of, of Israel. We're talking about a desert-like, arid land, where there was the need of migration for sheep. Where the shepherd would have to take his sheep from one place to another to find water and to find pastures. The Lord leads us so to this oasis type of pasture, which is Christ himself. He leadeth us besides the still waters, literally meaning the waters of rest. The Lord provides rest, the Lord provides water and food for our souls. And have we not experienced this in our own lives before? Have you not, Christian, experienced this in the past? Rest, nourishment and peace that exceeds all understanding in times of trials and tribulations peace came out of nowhere it could not be understood or explained the peace that comes from the hand of God and as the old hymn says 
Let each sweet Ebenezer that I have in past memory confirm thy good will to walk with me. Jesus says in John 6:35 and in chapter 7 and 10 that he is the bread of life that he that all who are thirsty should come to him and drink come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and find rest for thy souls the invitation is made to you christian tonight to come once more to christ to rest in him to find nourishment to find food to find rest for your soul in him and to you non-believer the invitation is made as well that today is the day of salvation today is the day that the lord invites you to come to him. This is not a matter where you go back home and think about it. No, the day is now. The day is today. The Lord calls you today to repent of your sins and believe in the gospel. Today is the day. And he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now we're going to look at this verse 3 all to, as one piece together. Now there are two interpretations when it comes to the restoration of the soul. The first one is the rescue of stray sheep. We find this, for example, in Isaiah, where he speaks about the coming Messiah, that he would bring Jacob back to the Lord, and that this Messiah would gather Israel to the Lord. Ezekiel chapter 34 verse 11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out for his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on. So that is the first interpretation of the rescue of stray sheep. The second interpretation is that of spiritual renewal or spiritual revival. Psalm 19 that we just sang, using a similar language that is here in Psalm 23, states that, The Lord of God is perfect, reviving the soul. In our context, the senses seem to interact so that the retrieving or the reviving of the sheep pictures the deeper renewal of the people of God. God takes care of our inward man. And he goes on to say that he leads us to paths of righteousness. And what are those paths? They are simply doing the will of God. It is to walk in obedience to his word according to his laws. And this is the path that leads to Zion City. And he does this for his namesake. Like in Ezekiel, where the Lord promises that he would take our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh, that he would pour his spirit in us for his namesake, for his glory, that we would not shame his name, but that our transformed lives would bring glory to his name. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we often struggle. We fall short many, many times. We are prone to think that the grass is greener elsewhere, that we can find greener pastures elsewhere. And we all know in our hearts that we are prone to wander and prone to leave the God that we love. And so we pray, Lord, take my heart, take and seal it for thy courts above. And brothers, the Lord listens to that prayer. The Lord does indeed take pleasure in taking our heart and sealing it for his cause. And what an assurance that we have that he is faithful to finish the good work that he began in us. We are not left to our own devices. The shepherd is with us. He revives us. He goes after the wandering sheep and he rejoices when he finds the lost sheep. 
He's not angry, he's not upset, but he rejoices when he finds the lost sheep. And when we turn now to verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the text seems to turn out from the green pastures now to the dark valley. Everything seemed to have been going so well, and now we are here in this dark valley. This expression poses some difficulty in the Hebrew, meaning something like, where death casts its darkest shadow, or shadow of shadows, or the darkest of darkest places, we get the idea it's a very dark place. And if we are going to be extensive in our Lord of the Ring references, we might think of somewhere like Mordor, Mount Doom. And we often go through dark times in our lives. We often go through deep valleys. But the amazing thing here is that the psalmist says, I will fear no evil. Now, we love stories of bravery and courage and we think, oh, I wish I had that bravery, I wish I was courageous as that. And we think, where does this courage and bravery come from? And what made this psalmist fearless? I shall fear no evil, even in the face of death, I fear nothing. And the answer is, for you are with me. Notice that he replaces the more distant he, as we saw in verses 2. He makes me lie down. He leaves me. But he replaces that he to a person-to-person address. In other words, David was talking about the Lord in verses 2 and 3. But when he comes to the valley of the shadow of death, he is talking to the Lord. It is in the valley of the shadow of death that David communes with God and finds his sweet fellowship in the Lord. It is the presence of the Lord that makes a difference in our life. Like Moses in Exodus 33, where the Lord told him, I will send an angel before you to guide Israel. And Moses says, no, Lord, if you do not come with us, do not take us out of this land, for it is your presence that makes a difference in our lives. It is the presence of the Lord that overcomes our fears. It is his perfect love that casts away our fears. And he gathers his lambs in his arms. And as we saw last week, he promises that he will carry them in his bosom. What a beautiful image of a shepherd carrying lambs in his bosom, putting them near his heart. And that is where we are, near the heart of the Lord. The Lord says to you this evening, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored. And I love you. The Lord is with us. And you might be facing a valley yourself. You might be going through a difficult time yourself right now. But know this, you are not alone. God is with you. And it may not feel like it, it may not seem like it. You may be asking and saying, well, I just can't see God's goodness in any of this. I just can't see God in this. And brothers, I have learned that it is not the, it is not our present circumstances that define God's goodness in our life. If we want to see God's goodness displayed, we must look at Calvary. 
we must look at the cross. There God displayed his love and his goodness towards us. And also our trials and tribulations are producing an eternal weight of glory. As the old hymn says, the flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a death world. The Lord is with us in our suffering. The Lord is with us through the valley of the shadow of death. He is no longer before us, but he is now alongside us, escorting us through this dark valley. And when we go through this valley, it is not out of God's providence. It is not out of God's sovereignty. It is beneath his watchful eye. The Lord is with us. Many saints down the line of history have witnessed the sweet fellowship in dark times. For in the valley we also commune with God. It seems sometimes that God is nearer to us in our pain and in our suffering. And he goes on to say that your rod and staff, they comfort me. The Lord is with us to protect us. For the rod and the staff, they refer to a weapon to cast away predators and also a tool to guide the sheep or snatch them from harm's way. So in those days, lions, bears and wolves would be the predators towards the sheep. David himself saved sheep from the very mouth of a bear, snatching the sheep from the mouth of a bear. Scripture refers to Satan as a roaring lion, lion, as somebody who is seeking whom he can devour, seeking after sheep. And there is a wonderful account in the Gospels where Jesus says to, to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Like I said in the the beginning, I've been deeply encouraged this week by just simply listening to you praying for this moment, and it is a deep encouragement. But imagine listening to Christ himself praying for you. But And that is what he does. He is in heaven at the right-hand side of the Father, interceding for us, praying for us, that we will not fail, that our faith will not fail. Once again, the Lord is with us. And now as we come to the verse to verse 5, our second point, the Lord as host. The metaphor seems to shift suddenly from a shepherd to a host. And it may feel completely out of the blue, for he was at one moment talking about sheep and pastures and now he's talking about tables and anointment. And we may think what is the relation here between shepherds and hosts? Well, in biblical times, shepherds and hosts had one thing in common. And that is that they were completely responsible for those under their care. And we see here the image of a table. We see anointment. We see an overflowing cup. In other words, this this is a party. This is a victory celebration. In the New Testament, the banquet table is a sign of salvation. We see the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. We see the Supper of the Lamb also. And this reminds me of the story of Mephibosheth, Saul's grandson. And in this account, David seeks to show God's kindness to someone of the house of Saul. 
Now, but Mephibosheth didn't have anything to offer. He was lame in, his, in both his feet. He, he suffered an injury in the beginning of his life. And that meant in those days that you were of not much value, value to society. But he has then his land restored by David. And David invites him to eat at his own table like one of his own sons forevermore. And it is at this point that we ask ourselves generally, um, why? Why me? As we just sang, why should I be a guest in this table? What do I have to offer to this king? Why should he consider me amongst all the people of the earth? Why me? And like David in Psalm 8, we cry out, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? We have nothing to offer to the Lord. We are sinful creatures. We have rebelled against God. David in the next psalm says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has a clean hand and a pure heart. And I think it is a safe guess tonight that that description does not apply to us. We are not a people of pure heart, nor of clean hands. We are sinners, enemies of God. So how can it be that we are invited to sit at this table and dine? How can it be that the King of glory himself calls us to sit at his table forevermore? And once again, the blessed answer lies in Calvary. The answer lies in what Jesus says in John 10, that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. On the cross, he thirsted so that we would be led to still waters. He went through the darkest of valleys, and when he cried to the Father, My God, my God, thou hast forsaken me. The Lord did not answer him, so that when we would cry out to the God, to God, he would hear us. Hanged upon the cross, and he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we would be made right with God. And here is love, vast as the ocean. This is loving kindness as a flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, shed his precious blood for us. And on the mount of crucifixion, a fountain was opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Who his love will not remember, who will cease to sing his praise. He can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. And because of this, we have indeed a blessed certainty, which leads to verse 6, our third point, a blessed certainty. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David starts saying, surely. Again, this is not a perhaps or a maybe, but this certainty. As surely as heaven and earth shall pass, but the Lord's word will not And as surely as the word of God will stand forever, mercy and goodness shall follow us. This is an absolute certainty. We are not talking here this evening about concepts or mere metaphors or a nice message. We are talking about reality. This is the reality in the Christian life, that surely mercy and goodness will follow us all the days of our lives. Now, the word follow here in the Hebrew, it's kind of a soft translation. It can be translated to the word pursue or chase. 
In other words, God's mercy and goodness will chase us all the days of our lives. It will pursue us. We can run far. We can go to the four corners of the galaxy. But wherever we may go, God will find us. God will be with us. Psalm 139 says, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. God's mercy and goodness shall follow us. Now mercy and goodness refer here to God's steadfast love. In the Hebrew it is the hesed love. Now this poses a massive difficulty in translation for there is no equivalent word in English to hesed. So translators use the word steadfast love, loyal love. It is a biblical concept of love. It is not a love that is based on what it can receive in return. But it is a loyal love that follows us. It is a love not based on our merits. And the example of this is Israel throughout the Old Testament, betraying the Lord time and time again, and the Lord in his steadfast love still there for Israel still there for his bride. For Psalm 136, if I'm not mistaken, says, for the steadfast love of the Lord shall endure forever. This mercy and goodness, this steadfast love that pursues us wherever we may go, endures forever. And we will dwell forevermore in the house of the Lord. What a blessed promise. What a blessed assurance for us. As we saw this morning, The goal of our Christian life is to stand before God, is to see God face to face. And this is the moment that we live for, the moment where God will call us by our names into his glory. So when we shall finish our pilgrimage in the gates of Zion City, the city that we most wait to enter, Revelation 7.17 says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a blessed promise and what a blessed assurance. May the Lord haste the day of his return. That we will come before his presence. Stand before him face to face. And gaze upon his glorious majesty. And as we saw in the beginning. That young man knew the shepherd. And my question this evening is, do you know the shepherd? Let us pray. Dear Father, we come before you with praise and joy. For you and you alone are our shepherd. There is none like you in heaven or on earth. None compared to you. None are equal to you. And you have the most gracious of gifts, the greatest of gifts, to call you our Father, to call you our Shepherd, to have this assurance that you are with us, that you walk with us, that you stand with us, that our pain is seen by you, that you are not indifferent to our suffering, but that you are with us, Lord. Lord, we, as this evening finishes, Lord, we come to remember that There shall be a day that shall not end. There shall be a day where the sun of justice shall rise and it shall not set no more. A day without end 
where we will be in your presence, where we shall be in Zion City, delighting, where there shall be no more sin, the world shall be broken no more, where we shall dwell in you, Lord, dwell within, with you, Lord, in your kindness and your mercy. Lord, be with us once more, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.